We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we begin reading in verse 9. Paul says, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. As you travel through First Timothy, we're realizing the responsibilities that we have as a church. These are things written to Timothy as a young pastor from a seasoned pastor uh, from Paul the Apostle who was also an appointed, uh, appointed by Jesus Christ, you know, to oversee the church. If you remember, we read back in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul told Timothy, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. And so as we read today, we're reading about the roles and responsibilities uh, of widows. We've read about pastors. We've read about deacons. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but in all reality, how do you see p widows in the church? I mean, even today, the current current of Christianity, they don't really have a place, a special place for widows like they do pastors and deacons. And yet we should because... When we study church history and when we look at the Bible, it's just obvious that God has a special place. And we're going to see as we go through our study, man, for everybody. You know, we talked about how Paul uh, told Timothy how you're to talk to young men, young women, older men, older women. And one of the things that we find in the church is that, you know, just I pray you guys would all know, all of you here, older, younger, wherever you're at, married, single, some of you have gifts, some of you are ordained pastors, deacons, overseers, the roles and responsibilities we have as a body of Christ. Because there are people that are dying every single day and they're slipping into eternity and we as a church must function in a healthy way to rescue them, to bring God glory, to be a healthy church so that the lost would be saved. But it's something that the whole body, you know, we have to catch the vision in. And we're going to see today focusing primarily on widows. But when we look at the roles and responsibilities of widows and then also the requirements of widows, we're going to find is that just like 
with pastors, I think, and, and deacons. It's just real Christianity. That's all it is. And so let's catch that vision. Let's really make sure that we are not entangled with the affairs of this life, that we may please him who enlisted us as a soldier. I read a story about a pastor who one day saw a guy that he didn't see come to church very frequently. And so, you know, this shaking hands as the guys are leaving. And so he talks to this young man. He says, young man, God wants to enlist you into his army. God wants you to be a soldier in the battle. And the young man said to the pastor, I I am a soldier. I am part of the team. And the pastor said, well, then why is it that I don't see you at church very frequently, except Easter, Christmas, and once in a great while? And the young man said to the pastor, it's simply because I'm in the secret service. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) The secret service, huh? But but seriously, where, where are we? Where are you in the battle? You know, I pray that as we go through today and you won't tune out because, oh, this is for widows. No, this is for the church. These are things that we need to take to heart. So important when we understand the gifts that we've been given and the responsibilities that we have. Look, as we go through today, we're going to see three concepts to consider. Um, One is what I would call the expectancy. These are things that God expects uh, from widows and I think from all Christians, the expectancy But then we're going to look at the tendency, the tendency for, uh, no offense ladies, but especially for ladies, you know, um, and it can also apply to all of us. Uh, We're going to see the expectancy from God, the tendency of the flesh, and then we're going to end with the adversary. There is a devil who's trying to destroy your life. He's influenced the whole world. He's made you have now a fallen nature And he wants to turn you aside. You might be on that road that leads to heaven, but you're not home yet. And my inclination and my thought is that you've got to continue to fight the good fight. You must continue to believe until the day you die. And that's why it's so important for us to know these things. But we first of all see the expectancy. Again, look at verse 9. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number and, and he goes over this whole list right here. Not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Now, again, it's important, I think, for us to know that apparently there was a number, there was a list of widows that met certain expectations and were therefore supported by the local church. Warren Worsby said that phrase, into the number, literally means to be enrolled and put on the list. The word was used in ancient Greece uh, to be uh, enrolled into the army as soldiers And what we see is then the early church had an official list of names of qualified widows. And we kind of get the impression that these enlisted women ministered to the congregation in many ways. You know, you don't see that today. You don't see like, uh, I'm, I'm envisioning, I'm envisioning like a home where these ladies have nowhere to live, where they come and they kind of live and they serve. 
in the church. And I know it can kind of take shape in different ways, but this is something that we see in church history. As a matter of fact, um, you might want to put your marker here and go over to Acts chapter 9, because we see it not only in church history, apart from Scripture, we even see it early on in Acts chapter 9, Remember this story here in verse 36. It says at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydia or Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him up to the upper room and all the widows. There it is. Notice all the widows. All the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. When he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Now, obviously, the main point there is what God did through Peter. The power of the resurrection was present, confirming all the message but here we see tucked away within this right here, something you maybe have never noticed, is how the widows are given a distinctive recognition there. All the widows, and then we see that later he kind of makes a distinction even between the widows and the saints. And so we see it in the scriptures, we see it in church history. Uh, at the beginning of the second century, Polycarp wrote to the Philippians that the widows must think soberly about the faith of the Lord and pray unceasingly for everyone and stay away from all evil. Uh, if you want to, you can pick up a couple of volumes. One is called the Encyclopedia of Early Christianity. The other is called the Encyclopedia of the Early Church. And in it, you'll find Tertullian gives us an equivocal evidence that an order of widows existed. In his time and in the third century, the registered widows, it says, he wrote this, gave themselves to prayer, nursed the sick, cared for the orphans, visited Christians in prison, evangelized pagan women, and taught female converts in preparation for their baptism. You see, and it's mentioned in Acts, it's mentioned in Timothy, it's seen in church history. And one of the things I, when I was reading this, I'm like, wow, Lord, they had a powerful ministry. Because you ladies, you know, you're already amazing. Uh, but what happens a lot of times is maybe when you get older, you think, well, I don't know if God can still really use my life. And little do you know that, that he can use your life in such a powerful way. And, and I guess that kind of goes for all of us. Later, William Barclay said there was an official order of widows, an order of elderly women who were set apart for special duties. There's another book. It's called The Regulations of the Apostolic Constitution. And in that, we read that about this story, and it tells us what the life and organization of the church were like in the third century. 
And this is what it says. Three widows shall be appointed, two to persevere in prayer for all those who are in temptation. Wouldn't that be cool? If you had like these three widows and they're just, boom, they're praying for those of you who are struggling in temptation and for the reception of revelations which are necessary, right? We need to hear from the Lord whenever it says they're necessary. One, to assist women who are visited with sickness. They must be ready to serve, even able to perform night services and other loving duties. And so these are the early church writings, acknowledging such an important place. Uh, we're going to see as we go through here that it's almost like you know a, another office in the church because you figure, okay, we give the pastors their honorariums or their you know salaries and sometimes deacons and those who are brought on staff. And in one sense, we see the same is true in a roundabout sense for widows. But we don't just give them handouts. It's not just benevolence to support them randomly. It's there's this service going on, and it's a vital and it's an important part of the church. What we find is that an order of widows definitely existed. Back in First Timothy, however, we see that these orders existed, but there were some qualifications necessary. Number one, she had to be over 60 years old. Now in verse 11, we're going to see that the primary reason for this is that you know, in the order of widows, there would be a commitment to celibacy. And so, you know, the younger widows would more than likely eventually have a desire to get married again. And so that's probably the main reason. And so Paul says, not under 60 due to celibacy. But not just that, I think there's also an element of maturity. You know, because to be in such a place, there's a heavy responsibility that oftentimes is just not realized. Not always, but... A lot of times this is not realized at a younger age. In the ancient world, it's interesting, they considered uh, the elderly, it says right here, the ancient world also considered to be specially suited for concentration on spiritual life, those who were, above, who were 60 and above. And so there's just something about that age. Uh, we see you know, younger widows. Sometimes Shelly and I will talk about this. And we, I'm sure. I don't know if you guys are talking about this. You're married. Hey, if you die, you know, don't get married or at least wait two years or something like that. You know? I don't know if you guys ever talk about stuff like that. Shelly and I mess around. But um, you know, um, you know, it's a lot of times when you're younger, you know, it, it's got to be the Lord. Part of me says, no, you know what? I'm just going to stay single and serve the Lord. But, you know, when you're younger, you know, the, sometimes those, those desires, they rekindle. And so they're just saying, if, you're, if they're under 60, don't put them in this list, okay? That was one. Secondly, this is really interesting. Look again at verse 9. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man. Now, where have we heard like something like this before? Well, if you remember, it was in the qualifications of pastors and deacons. Now it's the qualification of a widow who's to be put on the list. It's interesting to me. I pray that in that we would see the importance of their role and responsibility in the church. Now, uh, to be the wife of one man, it might be taken literally. There are probably some who do that. But more than likely, it's the same as you know when we read earlier in 1 Timothy 3, it means that she's been pure in her marriage as a Christian. She's been blameless in her life as a wife. 
no unbiblical divorces, and she can't be pointed to as the cause for a marital failure as a Christian. And so, you know, the one man, woman now, this is their qualification. You know, and I was thinking about this because most of you here, um, well, we probably, some of you here have uh, gone through this and it's a very difficult place to be. And I, and, I, and I just hesitate to say this, but if the Lord tarries, some of you wives, you know, your husband will die. You know, the odds are, the statistics tell us that your husband's going to die before you. Now, you know, be nice to your kids because hopefully they'll take care of you. Um, <laughs> but if for some reason they don't, and, and sometimes even this happens, the, the children die. And you're the survivor, and sometimes you don't have no way to make it. And so you might be there one day. And so, you know, I'm not saying this should be your main motivation to live this life, because really your main motivation to live this life should be because you love God. But if the day comes 30 years, 40 years down the road, and you approach the church and you say, you know what, I think I qualify for this, remember, you've got to live this life. You've got to live this life. And he says, number one, you appear in marriage. Number two, it says you are well reported for good works. Read that in verse 10. And what that means is that when they think of you, just everyone knows that this is the type of woman she is. You know, not that you advertise it, but such a life cannot be hidden. You know, you don't need to be a reporter. Just report for duty, and it will eventually be reported of you. She is reported to be a person, a woman of good works. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's what happens when you let the light shine. You know, Tabitha, the woman we read of earlier, was such a woman and everyone knew it. We read that there in Acts 9.36, that this woman was full of good works. You know, and, you know, that's a real important thing in the pastoral epistles because it's very important in the church conduct. As a matter of fact, remember that's how we were saved, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, classic uh, scriptures on salvation. But then it goes on to say, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the good works are the God works. What are you doing? What are we doing in our life for the kingdom of God? See, those are the good works. We read in Titus chapter 3, verse 14, and let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. And he goes on to, to share some things that actually might be described as good works. Again, look at verse 10. She's well reported for good works if she has brought up children. That's a good work, right? Now, let me just share this, though, because, you know, right away you're thinking, well, she's a mom and she had kids. But it's, it's probably not just that, although it might include that. And, you know, in all the, the commentaries I read, most of them didn't emphasize that. Most of the teachers that I, that I studied on this, you know, they all, they all kind of reasoned things out. They said, well, 
If she brought up children and they're not supporting her, then maybe her children have died. Not only that, when you read through this whole thing right here, it's probably in reference to orphans who needed a home. You know, Warren Wiersbe said this, if it refers to her own children, then they would have had to die. Otherwise, the church would not support her. And so it is likely that the reference here is to the practice of rescuing abandoned children and raising them to know the Lord. And by far, the, the vast majority of commentaries I read taught this as the rescuing, raising, and rearing of orphans. In those days, and this is crazy, man, but if you had a baby, they'd bring the baby to the father. And the father at that point could choose to either receive or reject the child. Imagine, it was as simple as that. If the father chose to reject the child, then that child could then be picked up by anyone. And oftentimes those children were picked up by uh, groups that would raise the girls to be prostitutes in the temple or groups that would raise the boys to be slaves in the empire. And so imagine that culture and so he's just saying, you know, if you want to be a widow who, who makes the list, well reported for good works, this is something that you might want to consider. Finding a child who needs a home. Maybe finding a child who needs love. See, these are things that I think are good for all of us. In those days, you know, we see the culture of the kids we see the culture of the travelers. Look at verse 10. Well reported for good works. If she has brought up children. If she has lodged strangers. Now we know that inns in the ancient world were notoriously dirty, expensive, and oftentimes immoral. And so these are the women who open up their homes. These are the women who open up their hearts. When someone needs a place to live, they're okay with that. And that's a difficult place, you know, because... You know, we like our privacy, right? We like our, our just our life. And we don't want anybody to kind of mess anything up. You know, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, man, but you want to walk around in your boxers or whatever. I don't know. I, I mean, it's just like uh, we don't like that. And when, when, you, when you're looking at things, not from man's eyes, but from God's eyes, the hospitality is very important to God. Hospitality is another factor, for this was an important ministry in those days when travel was dangerous and safe places to sleep were scarce. See, these are the things, and I know it's a little different now. Um, there was a time when you used to pick up hitchhikers. You guys probably don't do that anymore, right? Or maybe you do. I don't know. Um, I, I remember if you ever read, if you ever seen the Keith Green DVD. Um, just the way that he would let people live with him like crazy or Chuck Smith too. I mean, in Keith Green's video, they were sleeping literally in the bathtub. They were just packed out in the house. And, and, I, and I know it's a little different, but it's not like completely different. Because there'll, there'll be times, there'll be someone, the neighbor, Jesus said, you love your neighbor, the one that comes in your path. And they need a place. That's true Christianity. Not only that, look what it says. It says, if she has washed the saint's feet. She has washed the saint's feet. I was telling Henry, we should go on the streets 
of Almani and ask people what this means. What does it mean to wash the saints' feet? Well, first of all, they wouldn't even know who the saints were, right? Who's saint who? You know, how do you know who's a saint? Well, a saint is a Christian, right? And we know that just washing their feet is just doing the most menial of all tasks. You know, you're okay with emptying the trash. You're okay with, I was talking to my son about this, scrubbing the toilet for Jesus. No, no, I want to teach. That's it. That's it. No. When you really want to impress God, I don't think it's going to happen right here. I think it's going to happen down there in the, in the trenches where no one sees, where you're willing to go and get your hands dirty for the glory of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but that's not my gift. Yeah, but it's got to be your heart. See, that's where we need to be. Jesus talked about that in John chapter 13 where he went. Nobody wanted to wash feet. Remember in those days? Because I know you're thinking, well, what's up with washing feet? I mean, I see a little bit of toe jam every once in a while, but how does that all work? Well, you guys know back then they had the dirty, muddy, um, poopy streets, right? <laughs> and the guys would walk through and they would get their feet dirty. Now, when you would go and eat, you wouldn't sit in tables the way they do now. You would recline, and so you would see someone's feet. And so it was just a custom, you know. As soon as you go into the house, it was the most menial of all tasks. The lowest slave was required to wash your feet. And so remember what happened is when they they came that night, no one washed anyone's feet. And so what did Jesus do? He girds himself, he gets some water, and he goes and he washes everybody's feet. I don't know what the most menial task is, but, you know, try to think of it and then go and do it. Be willing to. That's the way this widow needs to be. And William Barclay also said this, that it doesn't have to be taken literally Although the literal sense in the culture is included, to wash a person's feet was the task of a slave and the most menial of duties. And this means that Christian widows must have been willing to accept the humblest tasks in the service of Christ and his people. Notice number seven, if she has relieved the afflicted, there in verse 10. And to relieve the afflicted could cover many kinds of ministry to the needy, feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, encouraging the sorrowful. You know, every pastor gives thanks for the women who minister to the material and physical needs in the church. There's a lot of people who need someone to visit them. There's a lot of people out there and they can't make it to church anymore. And so visitation is is so cool from both men and women. Now, it's interesting here. The Greek word translated relieved is a fascinating word that means to be strong for. And so you're relieving the afflicted. You're being strong for them. But it literally means to ward off or drive away a thing for someone else's advantage. To give assistance or aid from one's own resources. And I can almost picture, you know, someone who's afflicted and going through terrible times the word afflicted is, speaks of turmoil and tribulation. And it literally speaks of grapes being pressed hard and compressed in a wine press. And so you go and you find that person who is just hurting. And you, by God's grace, you ward off the evil. 
from their life. It's, it's amazing. What we can do in the name of Jesus Christ is a very practical, helpful heart for the hurting. I think number eight is kind of a summary if she has diligently followed every good work. And so, you know, those are the things that I think ladies and I think, of course, all of us need to aspire to. These are the expectancy. We're going to see there's going to be expectancy A, B, and C. So we'll call that expectancy A. But then there, there's the tendency, though, because here's where ladies normally want to go. <laughs> Look what we read in verse 11. He says, Refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. You know, Paul warned Timothy against using charity, ministry of the church to encourage people to be idle. He says the church certainly ought to assist those who need help, but it must not subsidize sin. And so what he's saying is like, man, you want to find those who are on track. And you don't want to, I think the word, the world uses that word um, codependency or kind of like, you know, you're, you're helping them sin. We don't want to do that. And so we, we kind of call them to certain things. Don't do this. And yes, do this. You know, and when we read verse 11 and 12, it's not that, you know, getting married again is wrong. You know, you're free. Romans, uh, it talks about that, how when a spouse dies that you're free. You're free to remarry. Uh, but you got to make sure that you do it in the Lord, right? But, um, you know, what ends up happening, he says, is you can't have them too young. Because what ends up happening is, you know, they make the commitment, we see pretty much to celibacy. And then later on, when those sexual desires begin to rise again, because they kind of made a, a quick, spontaneous, emotional decision, then they go back and they choose not to, you know, serve the church, so to speak. And then the enemy comes in and he, and he condemns them. You know, the, the Greek word for wanton, it speaks of feeling the impulses of sexual desire. And the dictionary defines it as a woman who is playful and sexually immodest and promiscuous. And so what ends up happening is their natural sexual impulses overcome their dedication to Christ. It becomes stronger than their commitment to stay single and serve the church. And so he says, make sure that they're young and then he says, number two, make sure that they're, they're not idle. Because this is kind of what they tend to do. Verse 13, and besides, they learn to be idle. And that can happen, right, for the, the gals to be idle. Have you guys ever heard that saying, idleness is the devil's workshop, right? You've heard that. The dictionary defines idleness as not being active or useful. Avoiding work, lazy, without purpose, even pointless. And a lot of times that can happen to, to ladies, you know. Um, we're going to see they kind of become idle and they begin kind of engaging in other things. We know Proverbs thirty one twenty seven says that's not, that's not the way that the, the right-on woman lives because it says there she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Now, I, I don't know... 
I haven't seen a lot of idle um, wives, you know. My wife is always working, and I would venture to say that most of you here are always working, huh? But you never know. There might be a couple of you here that are like, you know what? You're watching TV all day. <laughs> you know, and, and in, in, in a deeper sense, maybe in a deeper sense, you're not being used by God. You're not being used by God. And that's what he's saying. That's, that's what you have to watch out because a lot of times that's a tendency. They're, they're on the shelf. They're not serving the Lord. They're idle, right? He says, be careful because here's the tendency to be idle. Secondly, he talks about wandering. Wandering. He says right there in verse 13, besides they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. Now, I think it's okay maybe to go from house to house at times. You know, you go to their house to serve. You go to their house to visit. You might even go there to their house to teach or, or her house to be taught. The problem is, is when you wander from house to house. See, that's where the problem is. To wander is to move casually, carelessly, and aimlessly. To wander has even come to speak of being unfaithful to one's spouse. And these terrible things really do happen. Another thing, no offense, ladies, okay? I love you. I know you love me, but the, a lot of ladies, they struggle with gossip, huh? That's what he talks about right here. These young gals, man, don't take them in because they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but here it is, also gossips. Gossips. You've got to be so careful with gossips, you guys. This is a casual or unconstrained conversation. Reports about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. Right? When you just start speculating and thinking things, you're now venturing into the area of gossip. A gossip is also a person who likes talking about other people's private lives. And man, it, it, I just see it a lot, and uh, we have to be so careful. You guys probably heard the, the story of the three pastors that were having an accountability meeting. And you know, they would just kind of sit down each week and just share their struggles. And the first pastor says, pray for me because I'm, I'm having a struggle with lust. A lot of pastors do. And the guys are, oh yeah, man, we'll pray for you. Uh, yeah, definitely, we understand how that is. It's a crazy world that we live in. Billboards, advertisements everywhere. A lot of pastors struggle with lust. We will pray for you. The second pastor said, well, pray for me too. I'm struggling with greed, money, and the things that money can buy. And man, I just I struggle with covetousness. And yeah, we'll pray for you. We know we're living in a world of materialism. That's America today. And the third pastor said, well, I'll be praying for you guys, man. But you really need to pray for me because I struggle with gossip, man. And <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, you confide in someone and you open up to them, right? Next thing you know, hey, hear the news? I was telling my son, I said, you know what, I'm not a good singer. But uh, this, this tongue, it gets us in so much trouble that I always sing this song. Let the words of my mouth, you guys remember that one? The meditation of my heart be acceptable. In your sight, my Lord. I hate gossip. And I pray you would 
hate it. If you're not sure whether or not you should say it, don't say it. Because <laughs> God hears every idle word. Gossip is a problem. A lot of women have that problem. One guy said, I know nothing swifter in life than the voice of rumors. And it's true. There's a Welsh prayer. It says this, Lord, remind us often that a gossip's mouth is the devil's mailbag. You start talking about people, right? The Old Testament calls gossip a talebearer. And that's forbidden in Leviticus 19.16. It's a sign of unfaithfulness, according to Proverbs 11.13, and it's the cause of strife, according to Proverbs 26.20. I like what Robert Browning said. He said, speak to me, not of me. That's the way we should be. Yeah, but I struggle with this person. Listen, if there's a person to whom you feel dislike, more than likely, that's the person of whom you ought never to speak of. Be careful. You know, you can be gossips. Uh, you can be busybodies. Now I was thinking about busybodies. I'm all, Lord, that's a weird one, busybodies. Isn't it good to be busy? Well, the word right here, it means busy about trifles and neglectful of important matters. Have you guys ever felt like that? You're like busy, busy, busy doing what? A whole lot of nothing? <laughs> I know I've felt that way sometimes and I've just got to get a list. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do today? We can be busy bodies, but especially this word is busy about meddling in other people's affairs. You know what? That's not your responsibility. It's not. We got to be really careful with things like this. You guys remember? How many of you remember Mrs. Kravitz? Perfect, huh? That's who she is, Mrs. Kravitz, alive again. Be careful, you guys. It's an issue both then and now. That's why in the apostolic constitutions, it says their place and work are dealt with in the first eight chapters of the third book. And it says right there in the book, let every widow be meek, quiet, gentle, sincere, free from anger, not too talkative, not clamorous, not hasty of speech, not giving to evil speaking, not double-tongued, and not a busybody. See, we've got the expectation, the ex expectation, but then we have the inclination, you guys. And, and then we have, again, back to the expectation. Look what he says in verse 14, therefore I desire, here it is, that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. And so it's okay, you know, let them get married. Pray that they, they marry someone who loves the Lord, right? To have children is beautiful. To manage the home. You know, and, and when your husband comes home, that he sees it as a sanctuary because of the way the Lord has given you the wisdom to, to manage that home. If you do that, you eliminate the opportunity of the enemy to speak reproachfully. Because what ends up happening if you don't do that? If you don't do that, then what you find is that the enemy has ammunition to mar the name of Christ. I like what uh, William Barclay said, he said, it is always true that the greatest handicap the church has is the unsatisfactory lives of professing Christians. And he said, it's equally true 
that the greatest argument for Christianity is a genuine Christian. See, and when we don't live the life and we've got the bumper stickers and everybody in the neighborhood knows we're a Christian, but they don't see anything supernatural in your life, you're just like everybody else, the chances are they're not going to want what you have. question is whether or not you even have it. He's saying you don't go living a life as a gossip and wandering from house to house, busy bodies. That's not what women should be doing. Very practical things. Washing saints' feet. Relieving the afflicted. You know, really living the life. I mean, you know, yeah, pray and read and go to church. Do those things. But those things are not an end in and of themselves. They are intended so that we go out and live a certain life. See, very, very practical for us. It's important to know the expectancy that God has for us. A, we read it, the qualifications of widows. B, what God expects if you're a young widow, go ahead and get married and live this life. Why? Because we have an adversary. It says in verse 15, for some have already turned aside after Satan. And that's just the last thing that we want, you guys. You know, and I don't know how the enemy will do it in your life, but... You know, he'll use things. He'll, he, might, he might even use people. You might be in a bad relationship. And God is saying, listen, you've got to choose. Do you love me or do you love them? You know, you're not married and they're not a Christian. You have no business in their relationship. It could be a bad ambition. There are many people who have decided not to follow Christ in order to follow their careers, in order to follow whatever it is, whatever their dream is. It could be a bad relation, a bad ambition. It could be even a, 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 a distracting possession. I don't know. We have to all search our hearts because the enemy will he'll try to knock you down and keep you down. I remember reading a story about the coach of Auburn University and he asked his uh, former linebacker, Mike Colin, to help him do some recruiting. And so Mike said, sure, coach, what kind of player do you want? And so the coach said, well, Mike, you know, there's that fellow, you knock him down, and he just stays down. And so Mike said, well, we don't want him, do we, coach? He said, no, no, we don't want him. And then he said, and then there's that fellow that you knock him down, and he gets up, and you knock him down again, and then he stays down. He says, well, okay, yeah, we, we don't want him either, do we, coach? No, we don't want him. But then Mike said, well, there's that fellow, you knock him down, he gets up, you knock him down, he gets up, you knock him down, he gets up. And Mike said, that's the guy that we want, isn't it, coach? And he said, no, not, not him either. We want the guy that knock, that's knocking everybody down. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know who that is? That's the enemy. That's the enemy. Do you know how many people he is just destroying? Destroying. And they're turning aside. And he might even want he might even be after you. And I'm telling you this, 
that it's got to be real. That you, man, you got to make sure that you're not just playing church. Because if not, you will be devoured by the enemy. You know, we need to pray. We need to read. We need to obey. We need to be very practical in our Christianity. You see, in the end right here, he goes back to the expectancy. This is expectancy C. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. See, the church helps the widows financially, but it's just, it's just nothing compared to the way that they help the church spiritually. And I think in one sense, it's almost like, I was thinking this, because I'm weird, you know, but it's like the lost city of Atlantis. Like, whatever happened to the lost city of Atlantis? Whatever happened to this? Whatever happened to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3 through 16 in the church today? See, we got to ask God, you know. And I know that for some of you here, you know, praise God, you know, maybe you're not in that place of being a widow but I still think there's a lot of things here that we can take to heart because we're all different parts of the church, young, old. I pray you would know that we all have a contribution to make and that's kind of what uh, Paul is writing to Timothy about. Let's stir this up, man. Let's make sure that everybody knows that they're part of the body and Timothy, I want you to preach it. Command these things. Teach these things to everybody. Let me close with this. Uh, my wife likes Snoopy a lot, and I do too. I remember reading a, 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 a clip where Snoopy was there, and he had a broken leg. It was his left leg. And so Snoopy began to philosophize about his plight one day. And there he was. He was on top of his doghouse, and he thought this. He said, my body blames my foot for not being able to go places. My foot says it was my head's fault, and my head blames my eyes for it. My eyes say that my feet are clumsy, and my right foot says, don't blame your left foot. Don't blame me for what the left foot did. And so while he was philosophizing, Snoopy then looked out into the sky, and he confessed, I don't have anything to say because I don't want to get involved. <laughs> and, and I think Paul would say, I do have something to say. And I do want to get involved. That we are all different parts of the body. And you know, we have responsibilities that need to be understood. Not only as a whole, but I think as a person, individually. And so whatever those responsibilities are, you know, and, and, and you know, you guys, I, I know we live in a church, and, and one thing that I thought about is this. These women, they're going from house to house. Maybe, maybe it means they're going from church to church. Because remember, in those days, they used to meet in houses. You know, some people, they're like that. They go from church to church. You know, and I'm not saying that you can't go to heaven and do that, but this question, is this your church? Is Calvary Chapel Armani where God has called you to be? Then, I don't know. Maybe when we understand that, that we could just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to be a part of this body 
that will, will do my share, that will bring you glory and honor. And I think that when we start doing that as a whole, it's so cool. People are going to get saved. It's going to be so cool. Uh, God's going to be glorified. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us, Lord, another day, another opportunity, Lord, to serve you and to learn your word. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would stir us up as a church and help us, Lord, to live a very real and practical Christianity. I thank you for the work you're doing, Lord, and I pray that you would continue to work in every heart and every believer. Thank you for your saints. Lord, I also pray if there is anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day, Lord, they would turn from their sins and they would trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their lives. I pray, Father, you do that awesome work in every heart. Bless marriages, bless husbands and wives and single people. And Lord, I ask today for a double portion of your Holy Spirit upon us. Open the windows of heaven. Lord, we need you to bless us. in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.